Welcome to This Girl Puts Out, where we talk to real people with real stories about real life stuff. I'm your host, Carmen Caretta. This particular episode is one in a series about achieving health through weight reduction and management. I talk to individuals sharing their personal stories, as well as experts who shed light on the good, the bad, and the ugly of losing weight. So many of us struggle with weight, body image, and confidence. Why not put it all out there so we can support each other and learn? If you've got a story to share, please visit me at thisgirlputsout.com. Welcome to This Girl Puts Out. I'm Carm, your host, and we are continuing on with our Your Body and Your Weight series. We have a wonderful guest with us today, and uh, we are going to be talking about your body weight, body image, fertility, and digestion, and we're going to wrap it all up into one big thing. My guest today, Sammy, has been in the world of holistic wellness for over a decade um, after she found nutrition, yoga, and herbalism as a way to cure her own health issues. She is a graduate student in alternative medicine with the American College of Healthcare Sciences. She currently works one-on-one with clients who want to support their health naturally. She also combines her 10 years of experience as a doula and birth worker with holistic medicine to help women who are trying to conceive naturally. Sammy was the founder of two yoga studios, which are now online businesses and she certifies yoga teachers with her online training program. She lives on the seacoast of Maine with her husband and various animals on their small permaculture farm where she grows and produces her own line of herbal products. Welcome, Sammy. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I know. I'm excited to get into this discussion. You know, some of the some of the topics um, that we have discussed in this series have overlapped, but I love that each each health professional brings a new piece to it, a new piece of knowledge, or puts a different spin, or shows us something new that that we haven't talked about before. So, and that's kind of why I'm doing this. So. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Well, well, it's it's the definition of holistic, right? It's really hard to put these things into boxes. Everything is so interconnected when it comes to this work. So, it's a really great way of approaching it. Yes, thank you. You've done so much. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> just can't get over it. I can't get over it. You look very young, um, but it looks like you have accomplished a lifetime of achievements for for three people. So, <laughs> oh, addition, thank you. In addition to um, the bio that we just went over, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, sure. So I grew up in Massachusetts, and as a kid, I struggled with chronic illness that was never diagnosed, um, but it had me in and out of, you know, the Boston hospitals for many, many years um, in a lot of pain and with a lot of discomfort and losing weight rapidly in my, my early teen years. So right off the bat, I had a pretty complicated relationship to food and to my body. Um, and that's kind of what sent me into, you know, after I had kind of exhausted the Western medical system um, sent me into exploring alternative therapies. So I found yoga to be extremely helpful um, at the time and did my certification to teach yoga when I was 16. Um, And I've been teaching since then. After that, kind of chose a more alternative route because it in New England, obviously, 10 years ago, alternative uh, methods were still a little bit hard to come by. Um, mm. So I did my my undergraduate degree in holistic medicine online while I took to traveling to kind of study on my own time with various healers in different cultures. And that was a really potent time for me. I, I was able to travel to South America and to India and Asia and um, Europe um, and to kind of be introduced to these traditional healing practices in a more mm-hmm. direct way, uh, apprenticeshipping. And so that was definitely a formative, really solidified my, you know, belief in holistic medicine. And I just wanted to share it, you know, I just wanted to understand it and share it because at that 
by then I had completely healed. I was living symptom-free and I was also kind of overcoming the eating disorder I had developed because of my, because of my illness. Um, you know, my eating disorder wasn't really rooted in body image originally. Um, it was more so rooted in just feeling completely out of control of my body and feeling completely disconnected from my body. Um, and since then I've, you know, met a lot of women who've had similar experiences for different reasons, but, but at that time I really was finding my way to feeling completely peaceful and content in my body. And I just wanted to share that with others. So you want to shout from the rooftops, I'm guessing, right? (laughs) Exactly. I, I, it had taken me so long and so much personal, you know, as a teenager, you know, and um, I was lucky that my parents were very supportive of helping guide me to find more alternative methods, even though they Mm -hmm. themselves had never had experience with them. Mm -hmm. But as I started to learn more about these things and to learn more about how some of these issues, both in terms of eating disorders and in terms of uh, chronic illness were approached in other countries and other cultures that is just kind of lacking as an option in the United States Mm -hmm. um, for people who are needing different different alternatives. Yeah, exactly. I just wanted to shout it from the rooftops. I wanted to get more of the information out there to to benefit more people. I was going to ask you about your home environment, you know, with your parents, because what we learn at home and what is presented to us at home when we're kids and we're adolescents, that's what we do. You were very young to start thinking about you know, alternatives. I'm guessing that was out of frustration and out of the fact that you just wanted to feel better. So you hadn't found something that had worked for you. So, so (laughs) wonderful that you had a supportive, you know, parents who were um, open-minded to thinking outside of, you know, the Western medicine box for you. That, that sounds like it helped. Tell us more about, you know, the, the eating disorder itself and when it presented itself and how did it manifest? Sure. So like I said, you know, mine really started because of chronic pain and my, you know, chronic illness really manifested as like what the Western medical system deems like irritable bowel syndrome, which is really just like such a big umbrella term for an undiagnosable, you know, digestive issue. Something uh, we can figure out. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No obvious, like no obvious problems, no obvious uh, allergies or anything like that. But clearly this person is suffering. So I just became very, uh, like I said, just disconnected from and frustrated with my body. Um, And as a means of trying to gain control, started to uh, calorie restrict and to go on heavy restriction diets in terms of like cutting out whole food groups and things. And like, originally it was rooted in wanting to get to the bottom of feeling better. But it translated to obviously like weight loss. And for anyone who's been through an eating disorder, that kind of um, addictive mental pattern of restriction becomes like an obsession within itself. And so after some time, even as my body was healing and my symptoms were going away, I became addicted to the pattern of restricting Um, and of controlling my food. And I think like so many other people who experience eating disorders, that control piece, you know, wasn't, wasn't even just about controlling my body. It was about controlling my environment. You know, I had a crazy childhood with divorce and with, as most kids do, I think just a lot of issues dealing with growing up. Um, And so controlling my food was a way of controlling of feeling more in control, Mm -hmm. bringing an illusion of control into my life and becoming addicted to the feeling of fasting and those kinds of things. And so I was really fortunate to be introduced to a therapist who really understood eating disorders from a spiritual 
level, um, as well as, you know, just acknowledging that there's more to, I, I think, disordered eating and to weight loss and body image than just the desire to be thin. Like that's almost, I think for a lot of people, just an, an oversimplification of it and that there's something else going on internally that need the, the root cause that needs to be addressed, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so she was very helpful to me and, and then yoga was really like the mirror for me. How did yoga end up in there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, my, at the time my, I was probably like 13 or 14 and my mom had just been Googling like how to resolve chronic pain. And at that time there was like, one yoga studio in the whole county like this was like before yoga really had its explosive moment um and she had never heard of it but she suggested taking me and it was just one class that I noticed just a considerable difference in myself Mm -hmm. Um, and it's really just you know it's really just evidence of the fact that we don't have you know a body and a mind we have a mind body and the two are like so interconnected they can't be separated in any meaningful way and the effect that yoga had on my on my mind and on my on me emotionally translated so quickly to helping my body to feel better Mm -hmm. um, that it was just such a, a profound difference. And so as I was healing from my eating disorder, yoga was that mirror to me that when I would go to a class, I would be on the same team as my body. You know, I would realize that I, that my body is working with me, not against me. And so I would be inspired to do more things outside of yoga Mm -hmm. that also support my body in Mm -hmm. a really synergistic way, as opposed to always being at war with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like after a workout, you feel good, whether it's a yoga workout or otherwise you want to continue with the way that feels and the work that you've done. And you want that to translate into the rest of your day. Exactly. Yeah. And, and there's that false sense of empowerment, um, in eating disorders. I think that because that feeling of being in control makes you feel like you're more empowered Mm -hmm. than you really are. And when I would go to classes and, and literally not be able to do the movements because I was either like so lightheaded or so just weak because I had been restricting, it was a a wake up call that what I was doing wasn't actually empowering me. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, it was really draining me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was a good, a good mirror as well. I love that you were so young because it just reminds us that our brains are just so much more neuroplastic. We haven't, <laughs> we haven't tainted them totally. with all of our cultural and societal nonsense <laughs> at that point. You know, you were just, you were ripe and you were ready to learn and you were open. And um, I think, I think probably your age had something to do with that, you know, as well as, as your environment and the yeah. fact you were desperate to feel better. Totally. I, I feel very fortunate to have come into it so early mm-hmm. and, and teaching yoga all these years now, working mostly with women who are in their thirties, forties, fifties and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, like it certainly is a longer process of yeah. uh, exactly what you're saying of undoing <laughs> all of the <laughs> patterns that we've been, you know, and the narratives that we've been living out over our, our whole lives. It's yeah. really hard. So these were years, I'm, I'm just going to guess here, like 12 to 16, 12 to 17 ish. Yep. And so you also started to incorporate nutrition and was that because it's part of yoga philosophy or how did um, you figure out how to eat again? Yeah. Great question. Um, It wasn't, it didn't really, this was kind of uh, concurrent with, but not because of the yoga. Um, But at the same time, again, my parents, when I was growing up, my mom actually owned grocery stores, but she never at the time had heard of anything like organic or whatever. Right. And she was still feeding us like Kraft mac and cheese. Like that was just the norm, you know? Right. 
But as, as she kind of just watched me struggling to be so sensitive to so many different foods, uh, she started to research what types of diets, different diets people could do to heal their digestive systems. And then that kind of led her into this awareness of the way that our food system particularly in the US, but really globally at this point is so tainted and just toxic in a lot of ways, you know, our transition from whole foods to our dependence on processed foods and sugar and is making us really sick overall, like as as a nation. And so um, she started to kind of wake up to this aspect of what was happening uh, for me. And so I started to change my diet to be at the time I was vegetarian and cutting out dairy, but also just changing to less processed foods and more whole foods and to just be really focused on nourishing my body. And that made a complete, you know, world of difference for me in terms of addressing the actual um, disorder in my digestive system, the actual like imbalance that was happening there. And, you know, knowing what I know now being a graduate student studying these types of studying food systems and studying these types of illnesses extensively, it's no wonder that I was having issues because I was a C-section baby and I was being given conventional dairy and I was being on a lot of wheat flour and like a lot of processed foods and candies and all these things. And there's this other aspect. This is what I love talking to people about now is, you know, disordered eating needs to be addressed first and foremost. And there was a period of time where I had to let the pendulum swing to like all foods are okay, like nothing is restricted, nothing is off limits so that I could overcome my my fear of incorporating certain foods. And after that time, you know, there is such a thing as eating for health. Um, and it doesn't have to do with restriction. And it doesn't have to do with being quote unquote, good or not eating quote unquote, bad foods, you know what I mean? It has to do with just choosing to nourish your body. And because it makes you feel better physically, I think it helps to change your relationship to food, which, you know, I did a couple of in, I had visited a couple of uh, inpatient programs for eating disorders. And the piece there that, you know, led me to choose not, not to do them is that most of these inpatient programs, they're feeding patients like you know, ensure and pudding and processed bread and things like that, which is like, no, we're doing the best we can with what we have. And obviously, like eating is more important than not eating. But just the fact that those foods are probably not contributing to people feeling very good. Right. Um, it just struck me as an odd way to try to like get back in to a relationship with your body, you yeah. know? Well, um, if we're starting from ground zero, with a food relationship, why are we starting there? Mm-hmm. Right? I exactly. Mean, we're learning so much. And I, I feel like the the buy-in for good nutrition is stronger every day. Like we're getting there. I, totally. We, we cannot, it's no longer alternative medicine. Mm-hmm. It's our food. We're not eating right. We're not eating well. And we think this obesity and type two diabetes epidemic is the worst it's going to get. There's more coming. It's totally, we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. I, I mean, I'm glad to see so much more education and mainstream discussion about it. It's totally. getting better. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank God. It's, it's wild how far we got from it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? What you're saying mm-hmm. is so true. It's such a building block of our health that it's, it's wild to think about how disconnected we got from our yeah. food systems to yep. be where, where we are now. Yes. Agree. And so this is why we're seeing commercials for IBS medications and constipation medications. And this is one of the reasons why women have so many digestive issues. Yeah. I, I, I just, I love to put it out to just validate people. Cause I know digestive issues in particular are one of those that I feel like when people go into their 
doctor with something very vague and, you know, very vague and chronic like that, the answers they usually receive are like, it must be stress. <laughs> like it must be anxiety. You know what I mean? And that hormones, and, depression, right, exactly. Or it's in your head or whatever. And I was told that so often and um, it just really undermined my ability to trust myself and to listen to my body. And it just has to do with a lack of like education. Like you said, where the, the realm of nutrition is advancing every day and the medical system takes a little while to catch up, you know? So um, my doctors certainly didn't have, they just didn't have the tools to give me to properly uh, pursue nutrition in a way that was going to help me, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that obviously there's a huge time and place for mainstream medicine, but with alternative practitioners, I'm happy to see them growing as well as uh, with a focus on nutrition and on helping people to feel better. There's certainly so much validity to the way people are feeling and it's, it should be obvious because of the way we're living, you know, mm -hmm. not just with like the food system that we are kind of obligated to use where we all go to the grocery store and everything is mm -hmm. like not very fresh and processed and it's come from thousands of miles away and everything is sprayed with glyphosate and all this stuff. But also, you know, we don't get out in nature enough. We aren't sleeping enough. We are overly stressed and we're not managing our stress well. Um, we are being uh, overwhelmed by toxins in other ways, in beauty products, in cleaning products, just uh, in all areas of our environment. And so it's really not surprising that we're feeling so terribly collectively, mm -hmm. um, you know? And so I think just realizing, or I like to tell the clients I work with, like the problem isn't you. You know, it's not, it's not something that you, that is broken inside of you. And I think that can be the message or, or just the way that we start to feel when we're struggling with these chronic issues is like, oh, my body is something is wrong with my body. My body is not good. My body is broken. It's not functioning. And the fact is, no, your body is, has the intelligence to heal itself every moment. Right. Um, but it's the environment that, that we've created for ourselves that you're contending with. So in addition to putting the wrong things into our bodies, which we clearly are, how is dieting and calorie restricting contributing to our health issues? Well, dieting is, there's so much, uh, there's so much information about nutrition out there. And there's actually, unfortunately, a lot of conflicting or false information. And so when you start on these um, journeys of, of looking into different diets and nutrition, oftentimes it can be just so overwhelming because one person says to do this thing and then the other person says to do that. And we have to sift through all of this information. So much. <laughs> it's, so, it's, yeah. Pick yeah. A diet. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so like, there's, I think, what is the statistic? It's something insane. Like an, an average American woman will go on hundreds of diets in her lifetime. The, the thing, the way I feel about diets, right, is that one size doesn't fit all. So any practitioner that is telling you that this diet works for all their clients, that for me is like a big red flag. And us trying to put ourselves into these boxes of whatever diet you're choosing is, I think it, it becomes a way of punishing ourselves um, because we're not meant to be, you know, because of the food isn't meant to be something that we, we practice will around. Mm -hmm. Like food is just a biological need and, mm -hmm. and we attach this like morality to it. And so we set ourselves up for failure um, when we're denying one of our normal body signals that we're hungry and we attach that to being like a weak person or you know a, an unhealthy person and it really we need to first just separate the the morality from the biological need to eat there um, are people listening to this right now who are like have to stop the car and pull over <laughs> <laughs> to digest what you just said because it is profound i i genuinely feel like like that is really, yeah, where, where we set ourselves up for failure. And it's so sad to see people internalizing that either the size of their body or their relationship to food as a way of defining who they are. 
you know? Mm. And, and in terms of calorie restricting, we just have plenty of science now to show that calorie restricting beyond like excess calories certainly contribute to poor health outcomes, but calorie restriction, which if you go on any whatever dieting website and they, you know, suggest 1400 calories a day or 1600 calories a day is so far below what our bodies truly need. Um, And any type of calorie restricting like that just sends the body into automatic physiological stress, you know, and we as we learn more and more about what stress does to the body in a physiological level, creating inflammation, um, shutting down our hormonal pathways so that we are not assimilating things, we're not eliminating things, we're not detoxifying properly. It just creates this cascade of, of issues within the body that over time can manifest really tragically. And then we have to do the work of, of undoing it. And if you've been, you know, calorie restricting for 10 years, it's going to take a a good amount of time to convince your body, right. As you start to rehabilitate your relationship with eating, that it is safe to function properly again. Mm -hmm. And so it takes time to undo the doing. And so I've never seen good things come out of calorie restricting. Actually, my sister is a personal trainer and we were just talking yesterday. She was saying how some of her clients were so frustrated because they couldn't lose weight. And she kept telling them just eat more, eat more, eat more, eat more every day. And lo and behold, they could not believe how much weight they lost because as soon as they started to eat Mm -hmm. what their body was needing, you know, their body, the body just says, Oh, look, there's plenty of calories coming in. I don't need to, you know, hold on to all of this extra weight and inflammation. I can, you know, go back to functioning normally. So, but there's, you know, that calorie restricting has so many other fallouts besides just its effect on weight. Um, That can be really tragic for people. Like uh, I see a lot of women struggling with infertility, um, which is one of the big things I work with right now. And, um, you know, if you've been calorie restricting or, or trying to lose weight for Mm -hmm. a long time, it can just send those signals to the body that, you know, now isn't, is not a good time to have a baby Mm because there's not enough nutrients available. And so we have to do a lot of work again on separating the morality of like, um, and I'm nourishing my body so that I can have a baby and I'm not going to worry about weight and restriction. We're a mess. I know. <laughs> but like you said, we're getting better. We are getting better. We are a mess. <laughs> so, well, let's, this, this is a good place to segue into um, fertility and infertility. And you shared this with me. One in three Americans is now considered infertile. Jeez, I, I when I had my son, almost 13 years ago, I had, I had three cycles of IVF to get, to get one, one little boy. But at the time I thought I was like really unique, you know, um, you know, I knew IVF was a thing that people did, but it certainly wasn't common. I cannot believe how many people I talked, I just talked to somebody the other day whose daughter got pregnant with IVF. It, it, it just, I mean, I feel like everybody is getting help to get yeah. pregnant and definitely a symptom of something. So tell us more. Sure. Yeah, definitely. It is becoming more and more the norm now. And, um, you know, my husband and I, I'm, I'm pregnant with our first, um, right now, but we, yeah, we're young. I'm, I'm 20, I'm about to be 27. Um, and a lot of my friends have been on the same infertility journey of not being able to get pregnant, which for my age group, it's very unusual or it would have been very unusual 50 years ago, you know, and it kind of comes back to the same things we've been discussing, just a, uh, just an accumulation of different, of different issues of the, the, the obsession with dieting and with calorie restricting and women trying to control their bodies in that way, which has really, really escalated since the 50s is that, you know, kind of an all time high, um, combined with the the toxicity we're facing in our environment, you know, we (laughs) scientists do studies on different chemicals and toxins and pharmaceuticals, 
Um, but we never do studies on all of them together. And the fact is we're being exposed on a daily basis to, you know, I think there's over 800 chemicals and, you know, synthetic um, substances that we're being exposed to on a regular basis, Mm -hmm. each of us. And so we've never done long-term studies on what the accumulative effect of that is. Um, But we know individually, a lot of those toxins can have anti-fertility effects, can decrease our ability to get pregnant naturally Mm -hmm. uh, in both men and women. Mm -hmm. So Um, these are toxins in the environment, in our food. Yeah, in our food, uh, unfortunately, in our water, most like tap water systems, but also, you know, they're in the food just because they're in the soil, in the air being, uh, you know, from air pollution. Um, And then added to things like, uh, like I mentioned earlier, like beauty products and our furniture is coated in fire retardants. And, um, you know, we get in our our car and our car is coated in fire retardants and even our clothes are often like treated with different chemicals and things. So, but particularly for women, because we so often are like exposed in the hair salon or, um, you know, uh, in, even in like pharmaceuticals as well, sometimes if we're combining and um, we're on pharmaceuticals for a long, uh, an extended period of time, some of those can have effects on, on our hormones. So it's really an all an all around, um, you know, issue that we're facing, then combining that with our stress, because certainly, even before 2020, stress, uh, and people's ability to deal with stress is, is really high. Like the example I always give is like, the way our body is designed to deal with stress is very evolution based, like when we were hunter gatherers, and we would run into a lion, and the you know, the lion, we had two options, we would either fight the lion, or we would run away. And either way, our body had this intense physical release, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's what it needs to kind of regain homeostasis and get back to to balance. Now for scrolling our email, and we see a stressful email come in from a coworker, we have the same stress reaction, fight or flight, but we never get the we're very sedentary. So we never have the physical release um, that our body needs to get back to homeostasis. And so we start to accumulate this physiological stress and our cortisol goes up and up and up. And that again, kind of just signals to the body, like now is not a good time to conceive a baby. You are Mm -hmm. in, you are stressed, you are maxed out of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like, it's funny because in sex education, because it's so based on abstinence, we grow up thinking it's like really easy to get pregnant because all that you hear as a kid is like, if you have sex, you're going to get pregnant and you have to be careful and et cetera. And the fact of the matter is it's actually not really easy to get pregnant. You know, it's actually really, there are so many things that have to be perfectly aligned for you to get Mm -hmm. pregnant. There's, there's so your body needs to be in such a state of health and ready to support, you know, a a baby and and another body. And so we start to, I think, I think the reason so many people turn to things like that are intervention based, like IVF so quickly can be sometimes because they have had this idea throughout their life that like getting pregnant is supposed to be so easy and that they shouldn't have to do anything in preparation. It should just happen. And then when it doesn't happen and it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen they can start to feel like, oh my gosh, something is wrong with me. Yeah. And then there's that desperation that a woman who wants a baby feels right. Like completely she's running, Mm -hmm. she's running top speed to, to whoever can help her completely. And it, and it's, yeah. And it's such a personal thing, you know? Um, And it, we, again, another thing that we attach so much to our self-worth and the way we feel about ourselves. And, you know, fortunately, for a lot of people, it just takes subtle adjustments in the way they are treating their bodies, whether mm-hmm. it has to do with reducing stress or improving nutrition, you know, making sure they are 
getting, they're not deficient in vitamins and things, or doing some type of detoxification program that they are able to able to conceive naturally. Um, not that one is better than the other, but you having gone through it, know that it's such, it's such a long process. It's such an expensive process mm-hmm. um, to do things like IVF. And it just is, it certainly takes a toll on you mentally, physically, and emotionally. Yeah. It benefits a lot, a lot of people. Um, but it's also, again, just nice to have alternatives to offer people who, you know, are uh, maybe, maybe are able to just make subtle adjustments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, this idea of like, you know, getting your body in its healthiest optimal condition prior to trying to conceive that that's not a commonly shared thought. No, no. And, and it should be. Yeah, def- absolutely. We t- having a baby or, or being pregnant takes so much uh, from your body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, anyone who's had a baby knows like uh, it requires so much of you to be able to support and to grow mm-hmm. another life like that. And so to start from a place of depletion, which so many of us are in Mm -hmm. again with the restricting and the dieting and the stress, like we're starting from a place of depletion and it's just Mm -hmm. not going to, it's going to be an uphill battle from there. It just sounds so simple when you say it like that. (laughs) It really does. So you mentioned, you know, sometimes it's just subtle, subtle adjustments. What what nutritionally can people who are trying to conceive, what what can they do? Yeah. Oh, such a good question. Um, And when I'm working with clients, we always start with uh, vitamin deficiencies and detoxification because so many of us don't are not regularly detoxifying. So we're carrying a high toxic body burden. And we're also, you know, really as a, as a whole, as an American people really chronically uh, deficient in a lot of vitamins and minerals Mm -hmm. because our food doesn't contain the same same levels that it used to. So a detoxification program that I think is super easy is to, to sauna or even work out and just make sure that you're sweating, um, 30 minutes or so a day for, I would say six months prior to when you hope to start conceiving. Um, and we can actually reduce 86% of our toxic body burden that way with, with a hundred hours of sweating pretty much. So, which is good because if we have, you know, even if we do conceive when we conceive, we pass our entire body load of toxins onto our babies and, and toxins have been found at extremely high levels in, in newborn babies. Um, and if they are too high, then this can cause things like early miscarriage and Mm. and whatnot. So doing sweating, I think is the easiest and cheapest detoxification that you can do. And then just making sure that you are fulfilling all of your nutritional requirements in terms of vitamins. Um, so the most common vitamin deficiencies are vitamin D, vitamin A, vitamin B, and vitamin E, which is a, a kind of a unsung hero of fertility. It's actually from the tocopherol is from the Greek word that means like child bearing. Um, so taking high doses of vitamin E, vitamin D, um, and vitamins B, and then just, you know, all making sure that you're not lacking in, in any of your vitamins and minerals. And sometimes it's even worth doing uh, a blood test to just see Mm -hmm. if there's anywhere that you're really deficient. Yeah. Um, That was my question. Do you recommend, you know, a serum, a serum level? Yeah, I I definitely do, especially with vitamins like, um, you know, vitamin D, pretty much everyone is deficient, but if you're not deficient, it's certainly possible to take too much of it. So knowing kind of where you're at, um, as a baseline is, is really helpful. Um, same with iodine. It's, it's very difficult to get pregnant if you're deficient in iodine, but because we've kind of stopped the use of iodized salt and iodized food, um, a lot of people have iodine deficiency, but it's another one that if you are not deficient, it's very easy to take too much. Um, so getting your iodine levels checked and again, finding that baseline and then starting to incorporate through foods is always best. I'm very like food forward when I work with my clients. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't like to tell people to spend 
hundreds of dollars on supplements, particularly they're not uh, absorbed as well as our food, not as bioavailable, and they're so expensive. So certainly food forward, but if you have a hard time you know, getting access to high quality food, they are a great alternative mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Also trying to get your stress in order, your sleep <laughs> improved. Those are yeah. other things that yeah. you should be doing before trying to get pregnant. Yeah, certainly stress and sleep. And, um, you know, as uh, women with when our again, when our body is in physiological stress, and that doesn't necessarily mean that it registers for us mentally, Mm -hmm. like it doesn't necessarily mean that we are feeling overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Um, Our body can still be stressed out and signals of that are like, um, you know, skin rashes and being bloated or having a lot of food sensitivities or not sleeping well, having insomnia or being dependent on caffeine, right? Even if you're not emotionally registering that you're stressed, these are, Mm -hmm. are signs that your body is is stressed Mm -hmm. when, you know, we have something called the HPA axis, the uh, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, which um, I'm sure you're, if you've had people talking about hormones, they've talked about how easy it is for the HPA axis to be affected and the, the fallout of that to be that we're not producing progesterone and estrogen in the way that we should for conceiving naturally. And I think low progesterone is a a big cause of infertility in a lot of young women um, caused by that, the stress of calorie restricting and of taking on too much in their lives Mm -hmm. and of becoming overwhelmed, not setting boundaries, um, feeling like they have to do everything for everyone all the time and just running and running without uh, any kind of self-care or taking time to be in nature, to meditate or to down-regulate the nervous system. And down-regulating the nervous system is the best way to get that HPA axis back online um, so that you, you can start producing hormones naturally again. So I know there is definitely a place for women that go to see, you know, medical reproductive specialists, there is a time and a place, as you said, but we can start here. Yeah, yeah, this is this is where we should be starting. Um, And certainly, as you also pointed out, there's a huge expense associated with uh, reproductive medicine and all of the emotional things that go along with that. So you've certainly shown us that these things can be something that we go to first. You talked about the restorative ability of our bodies. So, you know, I am a 40 year, not proud veteran of dieting. <laughs> I think it, um, most, yeah. I've got four decades under my belt. <laughs> I can speak diet like nobody. Totally. How do we restore balance after all of this time and all of this mental conditioning too, you know? So it's it's wreaked havoc on our bodies and our brains. Mm. <laughs> How do we get yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, it's, that is a that is a big question. <laughs> It's another podcast. Yeah, no, I, I, I guess if I could bring it to basics, um, you know, the mental piece is step one, like you said, like, otherwise, you know, if we decide we're gonna get healthy, and then we apply a restrictive dieting mindset to that, and we are like, I have to do the perfect diet all the time and I have to eat all the perfect foods and I have to take all the supplements and I have to do the this and the that, then we're just applying that same disordered mentality to a new way of, of eating. And that's not going to help us any more, you know, it's not going to get to the root of the issue. So um, I think addressing the mental piece is first and whether it's through yoga or, or whatever it is that helps you to feel connected to your body. So whether it's another, you know, swimming or being in the ocean or being in nature or horseback riding or whatever, whatever it is that helps you to feel connected to your body, doing that and remember and, and switching the mindset from we idolize, like I mentioned before, like self-will and people who are driven. And I think a big piece of changing diet culture will be to flip 
our mentality and our, our paradigm to idolize people who are taking care of themselves and to idolize people who are committed to their own well-being mm-hmm. and to idolize people who are committed to nourishing themselves um, and to seeing the empowerment in being truly nourished and um, in being comfortable in your body with whatever size it's at. Like I, I always end my yoga classes by saying, you know, take a moment of gratitude for everything your body is doing right. And I think that that is such a good place to start because whether you are, whether you are unhappy with your weight or you're happy with your weight or you're in pain or you are not in pain or you're dealing with X, Y, and Z issue, wherever you're at in your journey, we can all find something to be grateful for that our body is doing right in this moment, even if it's just, I'm going to take my next breath and I'm grateful for that, you know, and then maybe that gratitude grows a little bit every day. We find more and more things to be grateful for about our body. And then we start to develop that relationship where we are more connected and we're supporting our body. And then in turn, our body is supporting us. And I think that, you know, get sometimes this brings up for us, like getting to the root of where the story really started. So where, where, whether it was, you know, your mother's narrative about her body or your family culture around body weight or eating, or it was something you were exposed to with friends, or we all have that childhood internalized things that we picked up from the people who raised us, the environment that we were raised Mm -hmm. in and, and getting to the root of those stories and figuring out whether they're actually serving us. And then acknowledging that we were, we were doing the best with what we had at the time, Mm -hmm. but now as an adult, we have the ability to choose a different narrative that serves us more. And so we can allow ourselves to kind of consciously release those old stories, Mm -hmm. those old beliefs, um, and can consciously choose new ones, but it really takes that awareness first Mm -hmm. of what is, what is even going on. And I think that, you know, from there, everything becomes intuitive. Cause like you said, if you start to feel better, you are inclined to do things that make you continue to feel better. So getting to the root of our beliefs about ourselves and about our bodies, taking the time to be committed and to be committed to our health and to redevelop that relationship to the body, everything from there comes intuitively and no one's path looks the same. Maybe you need to change the way you're eating. Maybe you need to just eat more. Maybe you need to incorporate more movement. Maybe you need to get out of a bad relationship that is Mm -hmm. causing you stress, right? Everyone's path will look different from there. Um, but we can all, we can all just make the commitment to, to not fight against our bodies anymore. Yeah. And I think once you make that commitment, you really, it's, I don't want to say it's easy, but you don't desire things that make you feel badly. Mm. anymore. You know, if you're, if you've done the work in figuring out the story, the stories that you're telling yourself, and you make that commitment, I really do believe that making better choices becomes very easy. I personally have found that for me. I completely agree. Yeah. So, and sometimes we need help from professionals, right? So we've made this commitment and now we want to, we want to do better. And we are very, very lucky. We have a plethora of options now with the virtual world exploding. Last year, somebody can access someone like you and develop a plan and say, this is how I'm going to do it because we're not nutrition experts. You know, Mm. we're not experts in movement and sleep and we need help with these things. So tell us what you are doing um, with clients, what like current services you're offering and and what you're moving towards. Yeah. um, Thanks. I know 2020 did a lot of good for accessibility, I think in terms of wellness, but I am working one-on-one with clients right now on a really any health issue um, that is, you know, within my scope of practice. And of course, you should always also be, you know, working with a primary care physician. Um, But as a 
a supplemental piece. Um, I work with clients, you know, one-on-one to address any, there is no, nothing too big or too small, you know, any, any just nagging, lingering symptoms that you've been having to, um, you know, getting to the root of a, a lot of imbalance in the body. Um, and so we do that through a combination of nutrition, herbalism. Um, so working with herbs that are supportive to healing, as well as just different practices from the traditional healing uh, systems that I've studied in my life. So sometimes we get into Ayurveda and Chinese medicine, but my biggest belief is that everything should be simple because if you walk into one of these, uh, you know, appointments with a practitioner and walk out with like, you have to change your everything about your entire life that just feels so daunting and undoable. So it's, it's very much like subtle, but effective adjustments that we focus on. And I just do those as, you know, one-off uh, initial consultations with a, a thorough health history. Um, and then we can do as many follow-up sessions from there as we need. But I, I really make it my goal for you to need as few sessions as possible, you mm-hmm. know, to, to really, I don't, I think a lot of practitioners, even in the alternative world, um, kind of base their model off of reliance, the, the client being reliant on, on them for their healing. And I, I'm very much about like giving you the information to be your own healer um, and for you to as quickly as as possible, not be reliant on me for that. And then I also have one course that I'm running uh, called Reclaiming Fertility, which is just kind of uh, the basics of uh, what we discussed, but in more depth, it's a six week course, just where you can start. Even if you haven't been struggling with infertility, even if you're just kind of thinking about uh, trying to get pregnant, um, I think it's a great place to start to, like we, like we said, like prepare your body for that very intense process so that it can be as enjoyable and comfortable as possible. So both of those uh, things you can find on my website, which is um, newmedicinecollective.com. I've got to ask you one more question before we wrap. How do you measure toxic body burden? Are we just assuming we're all toxic? Is that (laughs) (laughs) That's such a good question. Uh, Unfortunately, it kind of is. We can look at things like in, there's not a great way to test these things like hair analysis is, is one of them, but um, it's very expensive, first mm-hmm. of all. And also just because there, there's, you know, he- that tests for things like heavy metals and different chemicals, but just because they're being excreted in your hair mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily reflect how much you are carrying and the the actually the interesting piece where toxicity and weight interconnect is that toxins are stored in adipose tissue and fat tissue so this is wonderful of course they are (laughs) yeah of course they are so uh so they kind of hide there so it's not even things like blood tests aren't always very effective at measuring. Um, yeah. yeah, measuring. Mm-hmm. So we're assuming that we're all being exposed to them on the daily. And so having a consistent practice of detoxification, what again, like, you know, sweating, I think is the easiest, but whether it's like green juice or you're taking um, activated charcoal sometimes or um, chlorella, Mm -hmm. these things that bind to uh, heavy metals in the body and and kind of help your body excrete them is just a good practice to get into anyway, because we're, we're just constantly being exposed, but it's really more the symptoms I would say is, Mm -hmm. is a better mirror of like toxicity. Mm -hmm. If we're having anything kind of chronic going on, there's obviously something that is blocking the body from regaining homeostasis. And so we can assume that something is there that shouldn't be. This recording with you, this podcast with you, I feel like I just got out of like a really (laughs) 
powerful counseling session or church session or something. I feel like my mind has changed. I, I don't know, just the messages and the knowledge is powerful. And I'm so grateful. Thank to, you so much. Yes, I'm so grateful to you for coming on and sharing today. And yes. I will put your uh, website information on the podcast description and put it on social as well. So Sammy yeah. McLeod, Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Everybody take care. And this girl puts out is officially signing off. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And for more stories about real life women, visit thisgirlputsout.com.